That's to help you remember what we've been preaching about, which is the whole armor of God, or as Marcus Bart translates it, the splendid armor of God. Last time we said that the splendid armor of God is kind of like that splendid tuxedo. When ordinary Jimmy Tong puts on uh, the extraordinary tuxedo, he fights like Jackie Chan, and he dances like John Travolta. And last time we spoke about that first piece of that splendid armor, which is truth. And we saw that the truth is the word of God and all creation is a manifestation of that word. Like all creation is a dance. Even physicists are saying that. All creation is a dance and yet not all dance. I mean, by and large, we don't dance. And so we must still be being created. We must still exist in the sixth day of creation before all creation dances and everything is good, before everything is, is finished. Anyway, last time I showed you this picture and I said, truth is all around us, like music in a great dance hall, but we're afraid to dance. And we don't dance until truth becomes flash and calls to us, Becky, come dance. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the splendid armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, literally the accuser. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the principalities and powers, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole splendid armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I mean, maybe that's any day that has evil or the the sixth day, judgment day. Maybe this day, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world and and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth girded your loins with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness breastplate of of rightness that that's what that means and i think all of us want to be right and yet we all realize that something in us is is not right. So very early on, we set out to make ourselves right. In fact, your whole life is like a history of your effort to make yourself right. In fact, one of my earliest memories is writing that history of my effort to make myself that myself myself right. This is page one of Peter's record of righteousness. If you want to make yourself righteous, you see, um, you, you first have to ask, what is righteousness? Well, in kindergarten, the powers that be informed me that it was a privilege to hold the flag while the other kids said the Pledge of Allegiance. So I figured righteousness, rightness, is holding, holding the flag. And one day, one glorious day, I got to hold the flag. So I calculated one point for me and zero points for my friend Lucy. And then I went down here to the computation of righteousness in SRU standard righteousness units and calculated one one point for me, drew that line, zero points for Lucy, and then I drew this line right under uh, my point. Uh, Above it is the righteous and below it is the the not righteous and I enjoyed being right. (laughs) But very soon I felt wrong and so I looked for more ways to make myself right. In ninth grade I was still writing my history of righteousness but by now it was literally volumes of books and I carried these books with me wherever I went they, they really weigh you down they're difficult um, to carry they make it hard to move but you see I desperately wanted to be right in fact I, I brought some with me today here to, to show you these are just some of, uh, of the books of, of righteousness where I'd write my, my uh, write down my righteousness now these are extremely complicated and uh, difficult to, to follow, and so I've tried to simplify, like maybe just, just one page, just one page from one day in 1975 uh, for just me and a, and a couple other people. So, so this is page number. Can we get the next slide up there? This is uh, page number. Page number, this, that, no, this is the wrong slide, okay? So there should be another slide up there. This is, I think this one's out of order. Slide number two. Can you find the other one? No, that's the wrong slide. That's the wrong slide. Because those are all the same slide. <laughs> it, should be, it should be number two up there. Do you see number two up there, Michael? 
Huh, well, something happened with the way they were switched in there, I guess. Huh. Well, let me think. What are we going to do here? Because I'm not feeling very righteous right now. Because <laughs> um, I want to show everybody these books of righteousness. Um, do you think we should transfer them from the... Are they all the same slide up there? Okay, well, um, maybe... Yeah, you can't find it up there. Do you have different slides or are they all that slide? What's that? This, the other slide is from ninth grade. It says, uh, has a page number up here that's like 563 billion, something like that. Okay, so I guess it didn't transfer in or something. Okay, well, I'm just going to describe it to you, okay? But now this is the point. These all look the same. So what I'm talking about is this, uh, his, I was writing my history of righteousness in, in ninth, ninth grade, and this is page 9,463,352,637,342. Okay, and now the principles, uh, the principalities and powers in district number six had told us by this point that righteousness is, in fact, why don't you go back to the previous slide, okay? They had told us that, oh, there it is, right there. Okay, now we got it. Okay, the, the, the record of righteousness, page 9,463,332,637,342, and by ninth grade, okay the the powers that be had told us that righteousness is good grades competitively achieved and yet by ninth grade there were more powerful social structures that told us that no that's really not uh, what righteousness is in fact we called righteousness cool so these are called the categories of cool okay um, and and this is how the whole thing worked in, in ninth grade these things were cool um, so I'd write these in the books, like ski tags, sports girls, pimples, dumb instruments, body function, noises. Now, I've calculated these for just uh, Bobby, me, and Dave for the sake of simplicity so that you can follow along, and this is how it worked, all right? So this is for one moment in ninth grade. Ski tags were really cool that you had a bunch of ski tags on your jacket. And so Bobby, he always did, so give him two points. Me, I did, give me two points. Dave, no ski tags, no points. Sports, that you did sports was really, Bobby was great great at sports, so give him three. I went to soccer practice, so give me one. Dave, he wasn't in sports, so give him zero. Girls, girls really, all the girls loved Bobby, so give him, give him three. A cheerleader once uh, talked to me, so, so give, give, give me three. And Dave, Dave uh, didn't have a girlfriend. Pimples, that you didn't have pimples. Bobby didn't have pimples. I did have some pimples, so give me one. Dave, Dave came to school with Clearasil dried on his face one day. Minus, minus one. Dumb instruments, that you don't play dumb instruments. Bobby did not play a dumb instrument, so that's three. I didn't play a dumb instrument, so that's three. Dave, state champion cello player, minus four. Body function noises, that was really important. Bob struggled here, he couldn't really do anything. Me, I could kind of let him rip, that's two. Dave, no kidding, Dave could burp the entire alphabet, plus four. Okay, so then what you do is you add up those totals, the total of the righteous deeds down here. You go down uh, to this section uh, where um, you calculate uh, the, in SRUs your, your, your righteousness. Now. Um, this is historically added to previous scores, okay? But for the sake of explaining it to you, we'll start with a baseline of zero. So you go over here and plot Bobby, 14. So you draw 
14, right up to there. Me, uh, you draw 12. This is, the, this is the next slide, but I'll explain this in a minute. You, and you draw the line up to there. Then right under that line, okay, then you draw this line called the universal geek line, okay? Right under your line. And then over here is Dave. Above the universal geek line are the cool. Below the universal geek line are the geeks. This is called the, the dweeb zone. Now, I was ruled by the record of righteousness. I mean, it determined who I said, hey, dude, to in, in the hallway. Um, it determined my every, every, every mood, who I had lunch with. It governed every step. Each step was calculated and, and uh, forced by the books of righteousness. It, it um, determined my mood. So if Bobby got a zit, I was happy because I was that much closer to my idol. When I was down, I could just think of Dave carrying his cello across the football field while I practice soccer and feel better about myself. By judging him last and least, I felt better about me. But that year, I was cut from the soccer team. I remember sitting in a hole down by the railroad tracks and just crying my eyes out. Why? Because I would miss soccer? No. Because suddenly that had dropped me into the, the dweeb zone. See, I just, no, go back to the previous side. We're on the previous side. Drop me into the dweeb zone. I, I remember sitting in that hole crying and literally thinking to myself, how on earth am I going to explain this to my grandchildren? <laughs> your, your grandpa is a dweeb. That really, really hurt. But after a few weeks of, of moping, I just changed a few categories of cool. Now the next slide. Okay, now the next slide. Changed a few categories of cool and lowered the universal geek line. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of this, this whole record-keeping thing. And yet you do kind of live in fear because what if my computations are inaccurate somehow? What if Dave's record of righteousness is different than mine? What if I'm Bobby's dweeb? I mean, what if I'm his last and least? What if I'm his scapegoat to make him feel better about himself? And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, yeah, that is so true. Ninth grade boys are just so immature. Well, here's a page uh, from the book of a standard uh, adult male. Do we have that? Oh, great. Standard adult male. You'll notice that it's exactly the same layout. Did you get that? It's the same page. Uh, it operates in exactly the same way. It runs on competition, pride, shame, envy, and fear. It's just that the categories of cool have changed. Now uh, the categories of cool are, are, are not things like holding the flag or ski tags, but professional success. Wife, children, landscaping, snowblower horsepower. That's big for adult males. Um, and the universal geek line is now labeled something like the respectability line. Above it are good citizens. Below it are the less fortunate. And you measure yourself against your neighbors, your, your coworkers, and and maybe like the Taliban, that kind of helps. Uh, 
Because, you know, these guys don't even own snowblowers. Makes you feel better about yourself. And yet you still feel frightened and alone and, and not quite right. And that's the point at which many folks get religion. Now, here's a page from the book of a standard adult religious male, a Christian male, okay? Uh, standard adult religious male. You notice that it looks just the same. Uh, operates just the same. It's just that the categories of cool uh, have changed. They're different. Not kindergarten law, not ninth grade law, or the social mores of uh, suburbia, but God's law, the Ten Commandments. But you know, the Ten Commandments are a little bit confusing. So what does it mean, for instance, to not take the Lord's name in vain? That probably means like a, a list or something of no cuss words. And what does it mean not to covet your neighbor's wife? That must mean only one wife, you, you know, only one wife at a, at a time. So you compute your righteousness, uh, you add that up, and you compute it against uh, neighbors, friends, co-workers, and, and Taliban, because they don't have snowblowers, and some of them have more than one wife at one time. Here's a page from the book of a standard Taliban fellow, okay? Now, you'll notice that it's just the same, and it operates in the same way. It's just the categories of cool have changed. They also ascribe to the Ten Commandments, but let's throw in a few other things here, like beard bushiness, dominance of sassy women. I mean, that's okay. Not being a Jew, that's, that's really big. Well, here's a page from the books of a standard Jew, okay, in Jesus' day, the first century. Righteousness is uh, the Ten Commandments. And now check this out. Um, Love is, is also one of, their, one of their deals. You know, the Pharisees knew that. I mean, it's Deuteronomy 6.5, remember? Uh, they said, what's the greatest? They say, Deuteronomy 6.5, love your neighbor and all that stuff. We always think Jesus came up with that. That's in the Old Testament. The Pharisees knew that. It's stuff like the Ten Commandments, love, and the, the Mishnah, that's the commentary on the law. Circumcision, that you're part of the circumcision party. I don't know exactly what that is, but if you're ever invited to one, my advice is just say no, don't go. Not dying on a cross, that was really important, big for a first century Jew, because if you died on a cross, if you hung on a tree, that meant you were last and the least and cursed by God. But you see, it operates in just the same way. Uh, judgment, competition, pride, fear. Uh, it's just that the categories of cool have changed. So when most people talk about religion and argue about religion, they just argue that their laws are better than somebody else's laws. But they all run on exactly the same fuel. Pride, shame, envy, fear, competition. For the Pharisee, those above the universal geek line were called righteous Jews, and those below the universal geek line were Gentile sinners. And Paul said that the universal geek line, this is what he called it, the dividing wall of hostility. And now maybe you're saying to yourself, okay, hey, I get it. I get your point. Our definitions of righteousness are what, are what Paul calls the law. You know, he wrote that the Jews had God's law. But the, the Gentiles were a law unto themselves. That is, we all take knowledge of good and evil. What is knowledge of good and evil? Well, isn't that the law? And so you say, oh, I get it. Okay, Peter, I understand, but I'm not a legalist. Okay, here's a page from the books of a standard non-legalistic <laughs> Christian. 
It's just the same, but now uh, the righteousness is defined as not being legalistic, not being judgmental, embracing your freedom in Christ, being gracious to the last and the least of these. But, but, but because we're still writing in our books, trying to make ourselves righteous, we, we get all legalistic about not being legalistic. We judge people on their judgmental. Oh, they're so judgmental. We judge them on their judgmental. We're, we're driven to not be driven but, but free. And we use the last and the least of these, which means we've already judged them last and least. We use the last and the least of these to feel better about ourselves. Now, if you've heard the last few sermons, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, wait a minute, I get what's going on here. Righteousness is not a what, but a who. N not a list, but a person. So you make this a page of your book. Righteousness is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. Jesus is the, the love of God in flesh. Jesus is truth dancing. So WWJD, righteousness is what Jesus would do. Now, Jesus is righteousness, but you notice we're still writing in the book. You're still writing in the book. So when you compute your own righteousness, it doesn't get any better, it just gets worse. You know, Jesus said this, love your enemies. That's the people that you're computing against, right? The, the people that, you're, that, you, that, that you consider your competitors. Love your enemies. Then you will be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's aiming for perfection. He wants perfection. Be careful not to do your deeds of righteousness before men to be seen by them. I wonder if I could see my own deeds of Listen to this line. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He says it all like in one paragraph. How the heck are we supposed to do that? Perfectly, unconsciously love your enemies. <laughs> you see, if love is a law, that you must make yourself obey, you're pretty conscious of yourself. You have to calculate every, every move and force every step. If righteousness is something that you must make yourself do, well, it reveals that you're not righteous and that you do not love love, and God is love, so you don't love God. You use God <laughs> to make yourself right. You use God to justify yourself, but not Jesus. I mean, Jesus loved as if he loved love in, in freedom, as if love was just his nature. I mean, Jesus loved like a little child dances. And you know, he kept dancing. He, he kept dancing even though it hurt like hell and cost him his very life. He loved love. He, he had perfect faith in love who is his father. Jesus uh, fulfilled all righteousness, fulfilled the law, fulfilled all righteousness, perfection. So when you compute your own righteousness next to Jesus' righteousness, it does not get better, it just gets like infinitely worse. I mean, just look at the graph. There's you or me and there's Jesus. You know, if you read the Gospels carefully, I think you'll see that the, that the Pharisees did not crucify Jesus 
because he violated the law. The Pharisees crucified Jesus because he fulfilled the law. And he exposed their own unrighteousness. Mark 15, Matthew 27. They delivered him up out of envy. They saw that he was righteous and they were not righteous, and so they nailed him to a school on a tree, attempting to take his, his righteousness, wanting to make themselves righteous. They crucified righteousness, wanting to be righteous. They didn't have faith in the righteous one, faith. And now American evangelical Christians will sometimes say, I think usually say, oh, hey, wait a minute, that's it. Faith is, is righteousness. Faith is reckoned as righteousness, writes Paul. Romans 1, the righteous live by faith. And so we write, righteousness is faith in, in, in Jesus. And so we try to have faith. You know, psych your oh, I got faith. Or, or we concentrate really hard. Or we take more classes and read more books, you know, to, to, to make faith. We think we make faith. I think I make faith, which means faith is a deed that I do, which means I have faith in me. Which means I don't have faith in God. And Paul wrote, apart from faith, it's impossible to please him. And when I see that, I understand why Martin Luther just cried out, love God, I hate him. Well, here's a page from uh, one of my more recent books in my vast record of righteousness for Pastor Peter. Righteousness is a loving marriage. Love. I mean, that's righteousness, right? Righteousness is proclaiming the gospel. That's, I mean, gosh, that's got to be righteousness. Righteousness is faith. It's faith in, in Jesus. And, and because I'm a pastor, I computed a, a, against my, my neighbors uh, who are also pastors. You know, you judge your righteousness by the people that are closest to you, that do the same kind of thing as you. I judge my righteousness with Dave, Andrew, and Tim. Dave, the cello player, by the way, he turned out to be my best friend, best man in my wedding, an amazing guy. We did ministry together in Los Angeles. One night at camp, I remember all the kids had left the room, and out of the darkness, I heard weeping, and Dave walked out of a corner, and he literally just fell apart in my arms, and as I held him there, he sobbed, Leslie's leaving me. She wants a divorce. And I had this thought. Be happy. You won. My friend Andrew Trawick is an evangelist. He comes back from other parts of the world and tells stories of hundreds, maybe even thousands of people coming to, coming to Jesus, coming to the kingdom of God, rejoicing at his good works. And you know what I do when I hear the story? I get sad. Because I compete with Andrew. Tim had a church bigger than me. 
and a gift that I judge greater than mine. He was a great preacher. One night in a crisis of faith, he took his own life, leaving behind his wife, his little kids, and a, and a whole church. And something in me wanted to rejoice. Why? Because I judged that I had more faith than Tim. What the hell am I doing? Rejoicing at my friend's tragedies, wishing that thousands would not enter the kingdom, taking pleasure in faithlessness to feel better about myself, wishing my friends to hell. And when I do that, I wish Jesus to hell because he said, whatever you do to the last and the least of these, you do to me. So when I try to make myself righteous, when I live by these books, I hate my neighbor. I hate God's kingdom. I hate God, and when I see that, I hate myself. I do the work of the accuser for him. So by trying to be righteous, I make myself unrighteous. And my record of righteousness is then really a record of my unrighteousness. And it's not just that I don't measure up, see? I actually measure down. I create a lie, a, a, a whitewashed tomb, something that tries to act righteous but is really very much thoroughly unrighteous. I mean, I create like an imitation Christ trying to imitate Christ. An imitation Christ. If you said that in Greek, it would be antichristos, an antichrist. You see, if I think that I must make myself righteous, then I must think I must make myself faithful. I think I must make myself Jesus. I think I must create myself in the very image of God. What an absolutely absurd notion that a created being could create himself. What would he create himself with? He's not an uncreated creator. I mean, if there is one creator, then everything is his, and to him belongs all glory, and no one could boast. Why am I trying to boast? What an absurd idea that I could create myself, even more that I could create myself in God's image by taking knowledge of God, taking knowledge of good and evil. I mean, where would we get such an idea? Well, remember who Paul said that we are struggling against. Not the guys along the bottom of that chart, but some, something else, someone, something else. And remember what the devil suggested to the woman on the sixth day. Hey, look, knowledge of good and evil <laughs> hanging on a tree. Why don't you go take it? You could make yourself in the image of God. You see, knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of righteousness, knowledge of Jesus is not bad. 
but taking it to make yourself righteous is original sin. God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. He said that to them, but, but how would they know that his word was good? And that Satan's lie was bad. You see, they lacked faith in God who is good before the fall. They they lacked faith in in God who is good. They, They weren't fully created in God's image. They lacked something. They lacked faith. And and now they tried having eaten, once they tried, once they'd eaten, they they once the fall happened, they tried even harder to create themselves in, in God's image. They ate and saw that they were unrighteous and now tried to make themselves righteous. They make clothes. Leaves from the tree. They make clothes. I bet that's why you wear clothes. I bet that's why you try to cover your tail with righteous deeds, right? Good works. I bet that's why you're proud, ashamed, afraid, driven. They covered their nakedness and died. And dead things can't dance. Zombies can't dance. They're stiff. I think Paul would refer to all of our definitions of righteousness. Whether accurate or not, he'd refer to all of them as law. Law is like the dance steps. And and you can learn all about the dance steps and still not be dancing. You you know, most folks assume that Paul is saying, when he talks about righteousness, dance or else. Make yourself righteous righteous or or else. It's, It's like holding a gun to someone's head and saying, love me or else. Have faith in me. Trust me, trust me, trust me and and my love or I'll pump you full of lead. Dance to the rhythm of my love, lose yourself, find yourself dancing to the song of my relentless grace. Dance gracefully, faithfully, freely and without fear or I'll torture you without end. Is that what Paul is saying? Is, Is that the gospel, is that the good news? I mean, that's like showing the world this video and saying, just look at that. How beautiful, how graceful. Just look at that beauty. Now do that. Or I'll torture you endlessly. You know, if I think I must make myself righteous, I can't live gracefully. I can't dance well, I can't laugh well, I can't love well. I'm weighed down by all those, all those books that I'm, that I'm wearing, calculating, scheming, posing, acting. I can't lose myself because I'm trapped within myself, like a bubble of faithlessness myself. I'm trapped in my bubble of faithlessness, shame, fear, a false self, a bubble of hell. And remember from last time, there is no music in hell. So there must be no dancing in hell. To the Pharisees, Jesus said this, we piped 
and you wouldn't dance. Perhaps they could not hear. So if I believe that I must make myself righteous, I make myself unrighteous. And I trap myself in hell if I believe I must make myself righteous. But that's not what Paul said. He didn't say, make yourself righteous. He did not say, make righteousness. He said, wear righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, or more literally, having on the breastplate of righteousness, not like we're even kind of sure how it got on, having on the breastplate of righteousness, take off your fig leaves and wear righteousness. Ephesians 4.22, he already told us, remember this? Put off your old self, corrupt through deceitful desires. That would be like pride, right? Isn't pride a deceitful desire? Like the desire to make yourself righteous? Put off your old self, corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 24, put on the new self, the new man, created after the likeness of God. Already created in true righteousness and holiness. See, your righteous self has already been created. Amazing. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, this faith, is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works that none should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith and works prepared beforehand that we should, like, dance in them. Righteousness that we step into. How can that be? 2 Corinthians 5.2, for our sake, God made him, made Christ to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He trades places with us. He trades places with us. Can you see the next slide up there, the, the slide 14? Sorry, the slides got kind of messed up. I think it's because I asked him to change something. But you can picture this, okay? Remember at the bottom of the chart, the, the picture of Jesus? Okay, there, look at that. He trades places with us. That's his choice. That's his judgment. Well, once that happens, and Paul writes this, we're convinced of this, that one has died for all. Once that happens, once the first becomes last and the last becomes first, it renders all bookkeeping utterly absurd, right? I mean, once that happens, it would be like throwing all bookkeepers into a lake of fire. It'd be like throwing the accuser into a burning hot sea of grace. What could be worse for him? 1 Corinthians 1.30, God made Christ our righteousness. He makes us righteous. He makes us faithful with himself. And so when Paul writes, faith is reckoned as righteousness, it's not because God is a sloppy reckoner. Have you thought that? Like I'll do a little faith and God will give me all this stuff because that's what I need, all this other stuff. I'll get all this righteousness. Faith is reckoned as righteousness, not because God is a sloppy reckoner, but because faith is righteousness. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, it says the book of Hebrews. Faith is the presence of Christ who is our righteousness. As Paul writes, we are justified by faith. Just and right 
are one word in Greek. Justify literally means made righteous. We are made righteous by faith. We are finished in God's image with faith. Faith makes the man. We are dressed in faith, and it's not our faith. It's all throughout Paul's letters, even though it often gets translated out. We are justified by the faith of Christ. Not our faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ in us. Or maybe you could say it this way. His faithfulness creates my faith as a gift and makes me right. Colossians chapter 2, 13, Paul writes this. And you who were dead, dead things just can't make choices. Have you, have you ever... Anyway, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. I think that's the old self, the old will, the false self that covers the ears and eyes of, of your heart so you can't hear the music. Dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, the record of unrighteousness that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Uh, God nails my record of unrighteousness to the cross with Jesus. He nails my false self, my old self, to the tree with Jesus. It's like at the cross, God opens my books. It takes a big, takes a big red rubber stamp and uh, he dips it in his own blood and then he, he starts Stamping canceled in, in my book. He, he looks through my book. Lost 432 times in one afternoon. Well, I'd like to look in your book. But anyway, he takes his stamp, dips it in the blood, and he stamps canceled. Murder, canceled. Greed, canceled. Judging Dave Jones as he walked across the football field. Canceled, rejoicing at, at Tim's death. Canceled, wishing my Messiah to hell. Canceled, canceled, canceled. It's all canceled by my blood. Now drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And no more living by these books of damnation, these damn books. Because that's what they are. Damn books. Books of damnation. Don't live by them. But now, what if? What if we do go back and, and, and look, look at them? What do we see? Well, they're covered in blood. And this is what we see. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament has become the New Testament. The, the New Covenant. The curse of law has become the blessing of grace. My record of unrighteousness has become his story of righteousness written upon my life. For every sin has now become part of the story of his grace. Every point of my faithlessness reveals his faithfulness. The history of my empty old self reveals the glory of God's self, my new man. And when I go back to the tree in the garden, what do I see? Not death, but life. Uh, for in the place that I stole righteousness, 
God gives righteousness, forgives righteousness, forgives me Christ, body broken and blood shed, faith. There he shows me, he shows me that he is infinitely trustworthy. You know, and faith means trust. Trust means faith. How do you create trust in a person? Well, you write a story of your trustworthiness, right? His trustworthiness creates trust. His faithfulness creates faith in me. It's there that he justifies me, and that's God's justice. God getting what he deserves, and he deserves you. Paul continues in Colossians 2, verse 15. At the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him in Jesus. You see, this isn't just like some psychological positive thinking kind of deal. This is the very heart of your battle against the ancient dragon, the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities of this present darkness. And so when the evil one whispers in your ear, oh, let's see, you drank way too much. You suck. <laughs> you neglected your children, didn't you? You aborted your own baby. You cheated on your bride. When the devil whispers in your ear, don't argue with him. Don't, on your own strength, try to go and doctor the books. Preach the gospel. Just say, yes, I did all those things. But I am not those things. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm forgiven, I'm sanctified, I'm sealed by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the covenant. You know, when I first encountered demons manifesting in people, this, this really surprised me at first. But what I discovered was that the, the demons didn't really seem to derive their power from a person's particular sin. I mean, it could be a little white lie or it could be some sort of ritual murder. It, it wasn't a particular sin, but the shame that a person associated with that sin. It, 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 I mean, it was really like all sin had actually been forgiven. But if a person didn't believe it was forgiven, their faith in the lie that it was not forgiven made a place for the devil. One Carlos Ortiz used to say, listen, your certificate of debt, your certificate of unrighteousness, it has been canceled. But Satan took Xerox copies. And so demons will tell you that you are your sin. But you are not your sin. The Lamb of God has borne your sin. You must believe that Christ has made you righteous or you will try to make yourself righteous. In other words, you must believe that you have been justified in Christ or you will try to justify yourself. What do I mean? Well, you'll start keeping score. You'll start accusing your neighbor, accusing God, uh, accusing yourself. I mean, you'll begin doing the work of the evil one, the accuser, for him. You'll make yourself the devil's bookkeeper. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this. Amazing. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Have you ever thought about that? That's, that's incredible because God is love. So maybe God keeps no record of wrongs. Maybe that's because they were forgiven before they were ever committed. 
Or maybe that's because ultimately they're lies and, and illusions. But, but maybe, maybe, perhaps really, God keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> but we do. Inspired by the devil. You know, in Revelation chapter 20, the dead are judged by deeds in books. Perhaps they are their own records of their own deeds in their own books. And so their own judgment makes them dead, makes them false. We each have a false self that must be destroyed. But we each are a new self already created in true righteousness and holiness alive. The dead are judged by deeds in books, but the living are names in the Lamb's book of life. Names aren't deeds. Names are people, living persons, made in the image of God. You see, you must believe that you are not the deeds that you have done. You are the person that God says you are. You're chosen, justified, sanctified, redeemed. You are dearly beloved. And in space and time, as we walk through this world, God is revealing your name. And Jesus will hand it to you on a white stone. You are the creation of God's word. So, righteousness is not what you should do. Righteousness is not what Jesus would do. Righteousness is what Jesus does do in you. W-J-D-D in you. He makes you righteous. He makes you believe. And I know you want to ask the question, well, how does he do that? Well, this is kind of freaky, but I think he's doing it right now. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You see, when we proclaim the gospel, we sing the song. We play the music. When we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim that God justifies sinners. We announce that God makes us righteous, so we cannot make ourselves righteous. You see, the gospel crucifies the old self and sets the new self free. The gospel, gospel it crucifies our pride. I mean, nothing is worse for a bookkeeper than absolute grace. The gospel crucifies our pride and turns us into children. The gospel causes us to dance, and that dance is righteousness. It's the word of the Father incarnate in you. When my children were little, before they knew how to be proud, I remember I'd come home, I'd just put the key in the door, they'd hear my voice and just start dancing. And that dance is righteousness. They didn't try to be righteous. They just were righteous. One day when Becky was about three, I remember I I looked at her and I just said, Becky, why are you so wonderful? Without skipping a beat, she looked at me with those big eyes and she said, because I'm your girl. And then she just started dancing. When you stand before the Father on Judgment Day and he says, why are you so wonderful? Don't even think about the things you've done. 
Look him in the eye and say, because I'm your boy. I'm your girl. I'm yours. And you'll find yourself dancing. Not because you're trying to be righteous, but because you are. And please understand, I'm not saying that righteousness doesn't matter. I'm saying that righteousness is really all that matters. You just can't make yourself righteous. So confess your unrighteousness and listen to the gospel. It's this, God makes you righteous. God justifies sinners. God saves, in a word, Jesus. You know, when I think about getting righteousness, I think about Nevin, played by Steve Martin in the movie The Jerk. I know that's a little weird, but I'm weird. But Nevin, if you, if you saw the movie, you know he can't dance. And, and the harder he tries to dance, <laughs> the, the, worse, the worse it gets. It's like he can't hear the music because he's trying so hard. He's so occupied with himself trying to dance. And until, until he confesses that he can't dance, he confesses his failure, he confesses himself, collapses on the bed, and just listens to the radio. Sunday Night Gospel Hour, live from the Four Square Gospel Church and the Divine Salvation in St. Louis, Missouri. The Reverend Willard Wilman, pastor. And now, music throughout the night. Music in a mellow mood. It tells me to go out there and be somebody. And you see, God is speaking to you. On that night, 
the word of God took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take it and eat it and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. This is righteousness. And you can't make it. It makes you dance. I dance on a Friday when the sky turned black. It's hard to dance with the devil on your back. They buried my body and they thought I'd gone. But I am the dance and I still go on. Dance, dance, wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all. Wherever you may be, I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. So we invite you to come to the table. Take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The dark cup is wine, the light cup is juice and be dressed in righteousness. Let's worship. The love of Christ constrains us, controls us. I think that means causes us to dance. Love constrains us because we are convinced of this, that one has died for all. <laughs> so there's no point in keeping the books. Just put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I saw you come to the table, so you got it on. You feel it? It's not dependent on whether or not you feel it. So when you don't feel it, you probably need to preach the gospel to yourself. In fact, you can just, just do that right now, okay? Just, you can just say, in the name of Jesus, Jesus. I am righteous. Now, if you look at somebody, you're, you have this thought like, and I'm kind of proud that I'm righteous. <laughs> Now you're not righteous, okay? That, that's not righteousness. That's the old man trying to trap you in outer darkness. The moment you recognize him, confess him. Just confess him. Say, Jesus, I nail him right there with you. I don't, I don't want him. And then in the name of Jesus, I'm righteous. My friends, that's how you go to war with the evil one. So, in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel and you're free to dance. Amen?